G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to our 20th and final episode of Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia. Our theme for Series 6, taking the Australian startup ecosystem from good to great, concludes in conversation with the godfather of Australia's startup ecosystem. Now, when I moved to Sydney 15 billion years ago, the only person that I knew running a tech startup was Ian Gardner. And what I didn't know is that he was already behind the scenes setting up Innovation Bay to provide a funding pathway for a new generation, the first generation of Australian startups, an act that would end up jump-starting the nation's entire startup ecosystem. And since then, well, we'll hear all about that on this special Twist Alive episode recorded at UTS Startups on the 9th of November, 2018. We're chatting with a legend on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proudly sponsored by MYOB. Running a startup is pretty cool, but doing the books isn't. MYOB makes it easier. For your free trial, visit myob.com slash twista. This Week in Startups Australia is also sponsored by the University of Technology, Sydney, supporting students to become startup founders. UTS is engaging, inspiring, and connecting students to take the leap as startup founders. Check out what they're up to at startups.uts.edu.au. And This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Campaign Monitor. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com twist. Send your minds back. It's August 2014. I'm planning the very first episode of This Week in Startups Australia. And I'm wondering, how do I introduce Australians to the amazing ecosystem of startups and innovation that's growing up literally right underneath their feet? Who can I get to explain all of that clearly? And the answer came to me immediately. So obvious, Ian Gardner. Why? Because Ian is among just a few folks who go all the way back to a time when you could count Australia's tech startups on a single hand. And his Viocorp was one of them. Now, at the end of Series 6, at the end of five years of this show, I reckon it's time for a few more explanations. Because suddenly everything looks like it's going super, super well. Or is it? Twista has some questions it's likely Ian has some answers. Ian, welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm not sure I'd love being called the godfather and a legend. I'm not sure either are true, but I'm happy to have tried, tried my best. And so humble. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm also like, I prefer being in this seat, so um, yeah, it feels like Andrew Denton interviewing Oprah Winfrey. Not sure which one you are. And which you get a car, and you get a car. The rest of you don't get cars. <laughs> okay, so let's start off. Let's tell everyone, because I think a lot of people don't know about Viocorp. So what was Viocorp doing? When I got here, you were running it. What was it doing? So we were basically a video platform. Um, the way we easily described it was a sort of corporate YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, but we launched it three years before YouTube. So this was um, 2002, I think we started. You know, and YouTube hadn't even been devi- or thought about uh, at right. that point. So it was very hard. You know, we were using terrible, you know, clip-on webcams yeah. connected. You know, I don't know how taking your audiences, but we had, you know, an Act, uh, ActiveX component linked to the Windows media encoder on a Windows machine, and we're trying to put it behind firewalls, and it was just a horrible environment. Uh, and we really did struggle for the first few years. Uh, and then the sort of thing, you know, nowadays you call it cloud, but it was sort of a private managed cloud, and we rebuilt it for that and became a much more of a software company a few years later. Uh, we pivoted through doing live work and, um, you know, basically doing anything to keep the doors open and survive. And a lot of that involved just production work and actually doing a lot of live work as well. So we ended up towards the end of it, you know, as a relatively big venture funded business. Uh, you know, we, we took a few million bucks from Bylador. We were one of their first investments back in 2010. Um, and yeah, we had a huge contract in Malaysia. Uh, you know, at one point we had about 70 staff. Uh, yeah, it was great. I loved the journey. Um, you know, but things, once you're in that, you know, it's a fairly typical startup story. You know, the, the most startups are not either like Atlassian or ones that, uh, or Canva or any of those others. They, they either just go out of existence quickly or they just get into this sort of fairly hard grind. And we were definitely in that hard grind part of it, you know. So, and when you've raised a lot of venture money and your um, sales are not going the way that we wanted, you know, we'd actually raised a lot of money to go and um, expand into Asia and get more broadcast sales like that. And they just didn't come off. Uh, so you end up in a pretty uncomfortable position where, you know, you're just not performing, but, you know, you're doing everything you can to keep the, the wheels in the bus. Uh, and we did that. You know, we survived a pretty tough couple of years uh, towards the end. And by that point, I was 12 years in and I was just tired. Yeah. You know, and, it's, uh, and I didn't think I was doing a great job. Uh, and, you know, taking those, that combination together, I think it was, it was time to move on. So around, uh, at all of the same time, you're also putting the pieces together for Innovation Bay because there was really nothing to be able to do angels, that kind of sort of early financing yeah, in Australia, so was there? Yeah, look, in the intro, you, you probably misrepresented a little bit what Innovation Bay is and, and why we started. Uh, you know, so it was all about helping founders and we still are all about helping founders be more successful or entrepreneurs, I mean, however you, you, you class it. Part of that was the investment piece. But for the first few years that we were going, and in fact, even more focus on it now, uh, we've turned it into a, uh, a support community group for entrepreneurs to be more successful. And a lot of that's around events. Uh, you know, we've got an event this week with uh, Airtree Blackbird Squarepeg uh, and Catherine McConnell uh, as one of their investees. And we've got 200 people at Macquarie Bank. So, I mean, that's a fairly typical event for us. So come and find it. In fact, the audience here should come along. Still got some tickets left. Go to innovationbay.com. Am I allowed to advertise on Oh, yes. You'll be doing that at the end of the show. All right, good. Yes. But the angel or the... The funding part of that was pretty important. Uh, and this is back in 2009. I remember the first angel dinner we had. It was, in hindsight, it was pretty terrible. Uh, I mean, I can't remember the, uh, the companies that we had pitched, but one of them was a medical device business. And we didn't really vet them much or, or coach them. And this guy turned up and he pitched for, I think it was almost half an hour. 
uh, about this device that was still pre-market. And then the first question was, uh, so how much money did you need to take this to market? And I think his answer was half a billion. <laughs> and we're like, okay, we're maybe... I'll take the, that as a comment. <laughs> we're maybe in the wrong room with this. So we did sort of uh, hone that process a lot better. So, you know, now we still do our founder dinners, but we'll get five star. In fact, we had 100 applications for, mm. for the last dinner we just had. And the quality, I mean, again, we'll probably get onto this, but the quality of the founders and their knowledge level is so far beyond where it ever was back in the day. But I think... But isn't that because the entire ecosystem, because of things like Innovation Bay, because of your work, because of everyone working together, that there's now simply a lot more knowledge around? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Simple answer. Fair enough. Okay, so we have Innovation Bay. Innovation Bay starts to take off. Startup land starts to tick over 2013, 2014, fish burners opens. There's a bunch of stuff that's starting to happen. And that was when Amazon came calling to you? Well, it wasn't quite that simple. Um, I, when I was about to leave uh, Viacorp, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. <clears throat> I mean, I loved Innovation Bay and I loved the impact that I think we were having on the, the startups. Uh, and I actually wanted to spend more time in that. Uh, I mean, I thought it was hard to to go from, you know, decent salary as a, you know, relatively well-funded uh, startup to um, a brand new a thing called Innovation Bay that was, you know, we didn't have much income. We had a few sponsors on board. So the only way to do it was to get some more sponsors. Um, And, you know, the other piece of this story is that uh, Viacorp was a pretty big customer of AWS back in 2012, 2013. So we were one of their earlier customers. I think we were one of their biggest uh, back in 2013. Um, So I knew the team. Um, I really liked their technology and what it was allowing us to do as a a business, just that whole flexibility and low cost and all the other stuff that, Mm. you know, I now know having been on the inside. Uh, And I went to Ed Lenta, who was the country manager at the time. Uh, I said, Ed, look, you know, you've been to, I invited him to a couple of Innovation Bay events and he came along and he loved it and he loved the startups. I said, look, I'm thinking of spending more time on this, but we need some sponsors. So AWS should sponsor it. You know, we want to change the startup ecosystem. Why don't we do it together? Uh, and, you know, long story short, it was kind of like, well, we don't really sponsor things like that, but there's a job going. And I'm like, well, I don't really want a job, but what is it? And they explained this job, and I'm like, that is a cool job. Uh, I am interested. So, you know, I jumped through the whole... Uh, Wait, okay, but what was, what was the job they explained to you? What was it that was so alluring? Uh, well, the, the, the way they first described it was, well, you're startup business development manager. And, I, you know, I felt like I'd be, a, you, know, you know, putting on a suit and shiny shoes and turning up at Fishburners trying to sell cloud. Uh, but then when I found out more about it, it was not like that. It was like you need to be a core part of the ecosystem. You need to actually build a macro level, the, the infrastructure that's, you know, not, I'm not talking tech infrastructure, but they're just, you know, virtual infrastructure that's going to support startups to be more successful. Uh, And we want AWS to be a a core part of that. And I'd seen the benefit from the customer side and Mm, and got all mm, that. So I definitely knew that the product was good. And And the value proposition. It was awesome. Really, really good. Uh, And I really liked the team. Uh, I mean, one thing Amazon does well is to hire good people. Not quite sure how I slipped through that crack, but... uh, Anyway, uh, that was um, the, the, the role, and that's kind of how it panned out. I mean, for a year and a half, I was pretty much player manager, so I was on the local senior le- leadership team, but I was probably the only guy on that, mm. or person on that team w- without a team. Um, and then I ended up hiring a few people. and um, <laughs> Just a few key yeah. people. Now, you've been, you spent, was it five years? It is five, well, it's basically four and a half years. Yeah, it was four years, four years there. Yeah. 
What did you, I mean, this was also a period of time when Amazon went from sort of being around a $100 billion company to being around a trillion dollar company. Yeah. So this is the hypergrowth for even a large company. This was a hypergrowth phase for them. What did you learn about a company that's, you can't classify it as a startup, although can you? I mean, what, what, what can you tell us about how it organizes itself internally to be able to grow the way that it does? So, so my comments on this should be uh, couched in the fact that I haven't worked for anyone else. So this is the only proper, you know, job. using quote marks, proper job that I've had. So I don't really have a reference point for, for others, but I certainly have observed, uh, you know, how other large companies operate. Mm. I think Amazon is pretty unique in that sense. Uh, you know, the key thing I learned and, and, and talk about is just how, what innovation at scale can look like. Mm. And, you know, you alluded to, the, you know, the whole Amazon as a, you know, Amazon itself owns AWS, but, you know, depending on who you believe, AWS is a large part of the, the, the reason in that share price growth. It's not the only reason, but it's just... No, but it's about 45%, I think, uh, if ish, the analysts yeah. point yeah. out. Yeah. So, and, and roughly speaking, you know, when I joined, I think it was turning over about 4 billion, and then this year it's going to be 20, I might be getting these numbers wrong, 25 or so. So, you know, for any company, if a startup comes to me and goes, I'm going to grow at 50% next year, I'd be slapping them in the back going, great job, awesome work. But to do that from billions of dollars of revenue globally with thousands of staff is unbelievable. You know, so the there's a lot of things that I have taken away from it just around the the process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, best Jeff Bezos talks about this. It's like, uh, it, it's about the mechanisms you need. Everyone has good intentions. You know, yeah. you know, everyone in this room turns up to work and they want to do a great job and uh, but unless you're actually putting a mechanism in place to make sure that you are doing a good job and your team's doing a good job, and examples of that would be uh, the hiring process. Mm-hmm. So it's a uniform hiring process. You know, there's five people in the interview loop. Four of them are from the um, area that they're going to be. That person's going to be working in, and each person gets two of the 14 leadership principles to dig into in a really uh, granular kind of way. So. It's not just, hey, you're only good at selling. It's like, you know, tell me a time when, you know, you had a customer who wanted feature X and you knew your development team couldn't deliver that for uh, three months. What did you do? You know, and you can't, you know, wriggle out of those questions. Just say, I'm really good at selling. You know, just no one's better. Because that's, you know, that's part of what makes a, a good interview process. And it takes, you know, half a day's training course just to be allowed to interview. And then the fifth person on that um uh, interview loop is the the bar raiser, so they are there to be the sort of cultural arbiter. You mm-hmm. know, is this person Amazonian? And right. you know, they've been in the job for I think eighteen months, and they have to have done a hundred interviews, and they have to be good at them. And they then and they have nothing to do with that role or that division that the right. person's coming into. So they're a neutral party, as it yeah. were. So you apply all of that to um, the hiring process across hundreds of thousands of employees. Right. You get the right people. Now, and there are other mechanisms, but I won't go into all of them. I mean, well, some of this comes down to the fact that Amazon also prides itself on being data-driven. But actually, you're pointing to an Amazon that's soft skills. And I hate saying soft skills, but, well, let's call those core skills-driven. No, it's very data-driven. Yeah. Data will win any argument. Um, but Amazon. it sounds like, in fact, the hiring argument's not a data-driven argument. Well, it's a human it, argument. Yeah, well, hiring can never be purely data-driven. Yeah. So it has to be human-driven. And, you know, there's, you, you can't throw data at every problem. And, you know, some of the leadership... Yeah, but wisdom knows in knowing which problems you can throw data at and which problems you can't, right? Because stack assessment at Microsoft, again, data-driven, and was driving away some of their 
best talent because they weren't surviving a stack assessment. Yeah. Look, and there's data and there's data. I mean, you've got hard data like with numbers and, and whatnot, but you've also got soft data. So like when he answered this question or she answered this question, you know, I detected this within it. And then you're writing all this stuff down. And then in the, you know, the debrief process, everyone's coming back together and then they're talking that through. And so you are using that data to, to answer the question. So it's, yeah, just because it's not hard data doesn't mean it's not data. Right, right. Okay, so you 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 get sucked into this enormous organization. You're the outpost in Australia. How did you see your own role as, I guess, not just salesperson, but enabler for startups? How did you use that role to drive the ecosystem forward? Because I think everyone's pretty much agreed that you did do that. Yeah, yeah. Um I guess the philosophy I applied to it was ecosystem first, uh, Amazon second. And that's not that I didn't regard Amazon. I mean, it's, and it was a nuanced question. It's like, when does ecosystem trump Amazon? And normally they didn't, because uh, the reality was that doing the right thing by the ecosystem was going to be better for Amazon. So was I better to go and try and, you know, and pick some numbers here? So, you know, there's a thousand startups in market. Should I go and try and win... 100 or 200 of them off Microsoft, or should I try and grow that pot to 2,000? Because and, we're going to win a bigger percentage of right. that. And it's better for the ecosystem. So go and focus on affecting at a macro level, and you're going to do the right thing by Amazon. So, you know, and I really, it did feel like a, uh, a startup within a giant startup mm. uh, for, for most of the time I was there. And it was, it, you know, it was awesome. I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, you know, you, you had this brilliant arc of a career that the arc of that career paralleled the, the the hyper growth of Australia's startup ecosystem and then you decide it's time to that your work is done here yeah again it wasn't quite as simple as that um, I mean there's a few factors and it was earlier this year that this all you know and maybe it'd been dwelling for a bit longer I mean the the reality was I felt I was getting taken away from the stuff that I really enjoyed doing, which is hanging out with the founders and the startups mm. and a bit further towards the corporate beast, if you like. Um, you know, beast might be the wrong word, but you know, I was definitely doing more report writing, people management, you know, internal management. And that's, I wasn't, uh, a, 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 you know, adverse to that. I mean, I think I was actually not bad at it. Um, but it took me away from what I re- was really enjoying. And at the same time as this, you know, Innovation Bay had been uh, taking off. So we were, uh, by that point, active in Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, and we're about to launch in Brisbane. Um, plus, uh, along with my wife, Andrea, who's been in the show, so I should give her a call out, um, we'd been investing on the side, our own money. Um, uh, Through Jellix Ventures. Yeah, Jellix. I think, how did you pronounce it? I said Jellix. Yeah, you said Jellix. And in fact, if you want the, the, the story there, our, our kids are called Jasper and Felix. Ah. And we, ah. Yeah, it's a big quirky, but I, anyway, I used to tell stories about Fasper and Jelix, so poor old Fasper hasn't had a look in yet, uh, but we thought Jelix. That'll, that'll be the next one, that'll be yeah. the next fun, is that'll be Fasper. Uh, so anyway, we, we'd been uh, investing our own money uh, for four or five years, really enjoying it, uh, and I think we'd, we'd pick some good winners. Uh, in fact, one of them's just had an exit, um, store, yes. store reduce. Um, so the very first investment we made, I uh, just got a cash exit, which is pretty rare. I mean, you know, we got 10 times our money back for us and our investors. So that was a pretty good call to have. Uh, and, you know, Andrea had been in that for a couple of years running it full time. Mm. Um, and it made sense for me to to jump up because I was looking at that going, I really want to try and get more involved there. You know, and four years uh, at Amazon, I think, was, was a 
good innings. I mean, I, I loved it, but you know, I just I, I always knew there was going to be a time horizon in that. You mm. know, I'm, ultimately, I'm a founder and an entrepreneur at heart. Um, and this is very much where Gelix is is pointed at is it at companies that are at relatively early stage and helping them to have the resources give the founders the resources so that they can go and execute. Yeah, look, I mean, Gelix is a venture capital business, you know, so and, and venture capital is very much about enabling. And the reality is you use money in many cases to enable, but, you know, generally the best investors will use more than just money. They'll bring their expertise, their connections, their advice. Um, there's a whole bunch of things that go on top of that. And, you know, I, I think what we're seeing is uh, is validated. I think the, the thesis that we have is, you know, where Andrea and I sit is, you know, I think we're good at getting deal flow. Um, you know, just years and years in this ecosystem, we know just about everyone. Uh, <laughs> you would, yes. Yeah, uh, plus, we're good at picking the winners from that deal flow. Plus, I think we are pretty well respected and, you know, our integrity is high. So the trust level within the startups that are coming to us, you know, there's a deal that we're working on now that is very competitive. Uh, you know, this guy could have taken money from just about anyone. And he came to us and said, look, I really want to work with you because you've been a founder, Ian. I know some of the, the, the crap that you've gone through. Uh, and that's uh, that's important to me, you know, because I, I trust that if things are going good or going bad, you're going to be putting my interests probably above, not always above those of the investors. It's, and it's never quite as uh, black and white. No, as, but it's like the ecosystem versus Amazon. If you do right by the founder, yeah, you're going to do right the, by the investor. There's nothing that will destroy investor value like an unmotivated founder. We're talking to Ian Gardner on this very special live episode of This Week in Startups Australia, and we will be right back. MYOB saves businesses time, helps improve cash flow, gets invoices paid faster, gives real-time visibility of profit and loss, and makes payroll easy. With MYOB, you can create, send, and track customized invoices. This is awesome because Australian businesses can wait on average 43 days to get paid. With MYOB, your clients can pay you directly from your invoices. People who use the MYOB online invoicing solution get paid four times faster. MYOB software will let you know when you've been paid, then update the accounts. You don't have to lift a finger. MYOB's online solutions make pay runs quick and easy, ensuring all of your tax and super payments are compliant with the Australian Tax Office. You can save half a day every month on processing employee pay. MYOB's mobile app means you can create a quote on the job, send invoices straight from the app, and even get paid on the same day you invoice. 1.2 million businesses in Australia and New Zealand use MYOB. Startups, sole traders, and small businesses, all the way up to companies with hundreds of staff. Whatever your stage or size, MYOB has a solution for you. Twista listeners will get a free 30-day trial, and the first 50 people to sign up will also get $100 in cash. Go to myob.com twista for your free trial today. And we're 
this week in Startups Australia talking to our final guest of Series 6, Ian Gardner. All right, Ian. We've taken your career and taken a look at this span of time. Now let's take a look at what's going on in startup land. And, of course, the thing that I've been talking to all of my guests about since the Startup Muster Report was released a few weeks ago. And if you go back, you can listen to me talking to Monica Wolf and Murray Herbs about this three episodes ago, four episodes ago. There are some statistics in it that are sobering. Uh, the first one that's sobering is that it appears that the number of startups is in decline, which, I mean, how, does that make sense to you? Honestly, no. Why not? Um, I mean, there's various ways of looking at it. I mean, again, trying to take a data-driven approach to this, the, the amount of money in the venture ecosystem is greater than it's ever been. Uh, and that money is, you know, my observation of it is it's, it's not dumb money. You know, you're not just seeing, um, you know, funds coming in that don't know what they're doing. No. Just about all of that good venture money is, 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 is high caliber. And I'm not hearing any complaints that there's lack of deal flow or lack of good deal flow. Yeah. And you're not seeing crazy money getting thrown at crazy startups at a crazy valuation. And you're also not hearing startups complaining that there's nowhere for them to go for money, yeah. which five years ago was a very different story. Yeah, and, and maybe the, it might be the wrong way of looking at it, but the, you know, that's from my perspective. And also, you, you see the startup hub. I mean, like you're in there, you're at um, the studio. Uh, I've moved into Fishburners. Yep. Uh, I, I, you know, used to hang out in Fishburners just up the road here in um, Harris Street. I mean, the floor space up at the startup hub is twice as big as it was. And Ultimo, is that right? Three times. Three times. And it's full. Yeah. Uh, Stone and Chalk is twice the space that it was at Bridge Street. And it's full. And it's full. You know, so you've got more activity in that one space than we've seen before. And there's plenty of other startup uh, locations around the, the city, around the state yeah. even. Well, I mean, it's what I call the York Street corridor. Cause yeah. Blue Chili, and you have Tyro, yep. and you have uh, Air Tasker, and all this stuff, and then you have the hub. Yeah, and plus, the old Tankstream, as right? Well. Plus Tankstream, plus there's stuff going into Barangaroo. So you really, we actually have a precinct even yep. before we get to this whole idea, and we'll talk about that in a second about what they want to do over at Central. So either you believe that all these startups crawled out the woodwork to go and join in the startup hub, uh, or we are actually seeing, uh, you know, more startups come through. So there's there's a disconnect between what the data and startup muster is saying and what I'm observing. Now I can't say I haven't gone out and done the, the research or the yeah. data, so it's easy to say, well, I don't believe it. But there's something that, you know, I don't know. It's it it, it doesn't feel right. Look, I, I agree with you, which is why I've been asking my guests about it. And there's been a range of different responses. I have talked to a couple of, uh, of investors who feel like you do, that they're, they think it's a data problem and not a reality problem, and it, but it's very hard to know. And this is maybe pointing up the fact that as good as Startup Muster is, we actually are going to need more granular data. I think uh, there is a, a gap in market. And, you know, with Innovation Bay, like we've talked about whether or not they're, you know, the data problem, you know, use the quote marks around that, is solvable or, mm. or whether it should be solvable. We have no Metamark or DataFox or Crunchbase or CB Insights in, yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Uh, but it's, you know, you need scale to, to run those businesses and scale costs money. And, you know, to go out and do a, you know, piece of research like Startup Muster does, it's expensive. Yes. You know, so it needs to be funded. Um, and, you know, but the government, I think, should be 
um, supporting it maybe more than they are. As, as, basic, as a basic part of their industrial yeah. policy. And, and it's, you know, is the startup hub successful, Mr. Government? You know, discussed. Like, we're there. Yeah. We know instinctively yeah. this is awesome and there's so much success that's going to come from this. And yes, it's successful, but what is the data to support it? You know, maybe the government should be mandating that anyone in the startup hub or anyone who's getting any kind of government support needs to be regularly filling in the surveys and just reporting back what's going on. Because otherwise, is that. 35 million bucks rent support at the startup hub. Is that good spend of the, the government budget? What we don't want to see in, in four years when that uh, lease is up uh, is the government going, well, we're not sure whether we're successful and you know, you guys can just scatter to the wind or go to White Bay or something other bad option. <laughs> yes. We're also now, I mean, at the same time, the popularity of the startup hub, as you, as you point out, everything's 80% full right now. You know, it's according to Pandora and it's according to um, Chantal. It's according to Annie. So we have the th- three levels there. They're all about 80% full. So within about the next six months, the spaces are all going to be full. And the folks in the city say, oh, there's going to be some space in George Street that will open up in 2021. And what are we going to do? How do we start to confront the fact that we have this great thing, we've managed to bring the community together, it's really working, and it's so successful that it's about to basically fill up? How, how do we need to start to think about the world after the hub? And I don't mean because the hub closes, which is a real danger yeah. as well, but that we actually we found this good thing and somehow we need to be able to live beyond it. Well, I think what Tech Sydney is trying to do with uh, Atlassian's part of it around that Central Corridor. What's, what do they call it? Yeah, it's it, well, it's the Central Startup Corridor, and we're effectively in part of that zone because yeah. this is covered by it. But, but that's it, much bigger. That's a bigger ambition. But that's again, pro, I mean, they say five years away, no, and I'm way like, way more than ten. That. Yeah, ten is what I'm figuring. So we're still going to have this gap between next year, between yeah. 2019 and 2027, 2028, where we still need resources for startups to continue to grow. And I'm. I'm asking everyone on the show. It's like, what do you reckon we should do about this? Look, the, um, I don't, I don't know. Mm. Is the the short answer? Um, necessity can be the mother of invention. Mm. Um, so I think as we start getting squeezed at that and four year mark, Pandora is going to start offering virtual memberships to yep. fish burners, which I think That's is great. a brilliant idea. It is, it is right? great, but it, it doesn't it doesn't fix the, the problem of bringing everyone together. And it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so if you look, you know. Uh, Krista, I can't remember her surname, was out from Toronto. She was part of the Mars project there. Mm. And they've got a, uh, basically an entire uh, skyscraper in the middle of Toronto that is all startups. And, you know, again, I can't remember the exact details and how that was funded and structured, but there was private money, there was some government money. But have you spent any time in Toronto? Not recently. It is the most lovely city in yeah. the world. I mean, it's just like Starfleet Academy. Everyone's getting along. It's all beautiful. No, seriously, it's like <laughs> Toronto is going to be the best example you can give for anything. And so that's it, it makes me a little crazy because I do. I love Toronto. And so, of course, but, they're but doing why, this better. It should be like that here. There's, right? no, there's no reason. The that whole it world should be like Toronto. And yet. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, except for the winters, which are not. Pleasant. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So. There's, there's clearly going to be a need for us to think collectively around strategies for growth, for dealing with growth. And as Annie said two episodes ago, growing is among the hardest things that an entrepreneur has to confront. Like failure, it's like, yes, okay, that's never pleasant, but you can confront it. But growing actually is an entirely different set of skills. Are we going to need as a startup community to grow a set of skills to help us sustain an ecosystem at growth? Uh, yes, 
But I mean, if the question's a bit deeper than that, like what skills in uh, particular? Um, look, I think these are, you know, there's no one answer on this one. <clears throat> I mean, an entrepreneur needs to, to sell, they need to hire, they need to uh, understand scale, um, even tax once they get to. I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, a, a founder or, or a team needs to do. And the reality is we need to teach all of them. And some of that's going to be through, you know, the early stage education system. Um, a lot of it will come from, you know, other entrepreneurs coming through and, and seeing the success of it. I mean, you look at um, Atlassian or uh, WiseTech. I was going to say CargoWise. That shows how old I am. Uh, WiseTech. I mean, there's actually the success of those companies is spinning out money and talent from mm. those businesses that is now reactive in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And they are on, and you know, the venture capital ecosystem as well. I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, knowledge and talent that is now going to educate, I was going to say re-educate, but maybe they didn't know before, so they're educating that next generation of founders that's coming through. You know, this podcast, um, Innovation Bay, you know, the, the, the you know the podcast I do, we haven't compared listener numbers, we should maybe do that sometime. Um, <clears throat> you know, but they all have impacts. I mean, I, I'm constantly struck by people that say, you know, I, you know, I listen to your podcast and I learn a lot from it, and it's it's just, it's all about activity. You know, if there's no other option, then just go and do something. I mean, it's 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 the it's the what I would tell my sales guys. It's like, well, I don't know whether you should go to that meeting, but if you don't go, nothing happens. It's the same with uh, with any anything in the startup ecosystem. Just go and do it. It might stick to the wall. Okay, so if we're now looking forward, so we're five years in on this show, we'll have you back in a, another four or five years. I can promise you. That. I'll have you in mind. <laughs> uh, it will do a crossover episode. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the theme in Series 6 has been about taking the ecosystem from good to great. And because I feel like good and, and this, the hub is a sign that things are good. They're not necessarily great. You know, there are clearly some problem areas that we're, we're going to need to focus on. What are your, if you could reflect on everything that you've seen happen over the last decade of doing this, what would you suggest are the things that we need to focus on, that we need to lean into in order to be able to go from good to great as a startup ecosystem? Um, well, I'll probably answer this by talking about the things that we can control uh, or that we wish we could control, uh, you know, because we can control our individual activities and whether or not we're doing Innovation Bay or this podcast or, you know, whether I'm doing Gilix. But the stuff that we should be able to control, but which is hard, is the is the government stuff. And you know, again, I, I never liked leaning on the no. the government, and you know, getting free handouts is not great. But you know, the R and D tax reclaim is just uh, material uh, in terms of keeping the startup ecosystem alive. Almost, I mean, not alive—that's the wrong word—but it, it is so important. You know, so we just don't want to see any um, degradation of that. Um, the visa situation is not good. Uh, you know, I'm constantly struck by startups that would be hiring more people. And, you know, there's one I saw last week that, you know, they've set up their dev team in the U.S., uh, not in Silicon Valley. It's too expensive there, but there's other places in the U.S. that they can do it. And they would have much rather had them here, but they couldn't get the staff into the country. Um, and they didn't and they couldn't hire in the country because there just yeah, wasn't enough just, of a talent not, pool. And, and when the talent is there, it's just crazy expensive. Uh, you know, because there's a lot of uh, demand for that talent. You know, and you compare that to Krista from Toronto that we talked about. I mean, she was saying uh, the visa application process in Toronto is two weeks. 
So you put in an application for a talented developer from overseas. Two weeks later, that developer is in a role in the office building. Are you listening, Minister Dutton? Because we have a suggestion I'm for you. I'm not sure he's listening, I'm afraid. <laughs> Do you want a joke? <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Peter. Peter who? Scott Morrison. I told that joke in my podcast, but I thought you'd uh, appreciate it. (laughs) For our foreign listeners, don't worry about it. For Australian listeners, needs no explanation. Ian, it has been an amazing, fantastic ride, both, I think, watching your career, watching you build the ecosystem, watching you build Innovation Bay, and Twister wishes you every success going forward with Gilix. Oh, that's, I appreciate that. And actually, I was a bit alarmed when I uh, announced I was leaving Amazon. I had a few people tweeting at me saying, oh, this is a disaster for the startup ecosystem. And, you know, I'm like, hang on, is it not going to be better? Because I can now focus on, you know, it's not that Amazon wasn't scaling things, but I think what I'm doing now is actually much more focused, you know, between Innovation Bay and Gelix, it's all about the ecosystem. And, you know, that's what I'm passionate about. I spent 16 years trying to build it, and I just want to see it better. Thank you for being our final guest this year on Thanks This Week in Startups awesome. Australia. University of Technology Sydney recognizes the incredible potential of the next generation of Australian startup founders. UTS believes entrepreneurship is about doing, inspiring students to take that first step on their founder journey, then encouraging them to keep going. UTS Startups supports student founders from ideation stage to launch with one-on-one mentorship and guidance to support them from across the entire startup ecosystem. This new UTS startup model focuses on connecting each founder with what they need when they need it, as well as forging connections between members of the UTS startups community. Go see their vibrant collaboration space on Harris Street in Ultimo or visit startups.uts.edu.au to find out more. We recently launched a new segment for Series 6 of This Week in Startups Australia, asking all of the many incubator and accelerator programs running across the country to spruik their programs to twist our listeners in their own words. And this week, we're hearing from Ian Gardner, founder of Innovation Bay. Take it away, Ian. Thank you. Um, Yeah, look, Innovation Bay, we've been running for... 16 years now, so I think we must be one of the uh, the longest-running uh, programs. Uh, we're a community group for entrepreneurs. Our mission is to help founders or entrepreneurs within that tech space be more successful. Uh, there's various different ways we do it. Um, one is around educational events, so we will bring in a you know, great, uh, experienced speaker or a panel of speakers and talk on a um, particular topic. It tends to be me interviewing them. Um, and, you know, we'll run a breakfast event, so we'll run them regularly, um, and dinner events, which are a bit uh, a bit more casual, but also uh, really good value. And then the third thing that we do within that core event group is the uh, what we call founder dinners. Uh, we used to call them angel dinners, uh, but we didn't just love the fact that, you know, 
the name suggests that you have to turn up and raise money. Uh, what we wanted to do is have the name suggest that you turn up and get help. Often that is raising money, to be honest. Um, we're active in all the major cities. So um, started in Sydney, expanded to Melbourne, Perth, Adelaide, and we're about to launch in, in Brisbane. Uh, and that model is with uh, city leaders in each location who are, you know, believe in our philosophy and uh, helping um, entrepreneurs. Got about 4,000 members. Um, almost 1,000 of them claim to be investors. Um, so there is a, a fairly large number of investors there. So whilst we may be uh, notorious for our investment activity, we're, I think, best, our, our best impact is around the, uh, the, the, the educational piece. Uh, a few things that we're working on, um, we just ran a successful conference this year, so we had pretty much the entire Australian venture capital community came to the middle of nowhere in New Zealand, so we had uh, three nights away in Lake Ohau, uh, and that was really important from our point of view, because bringing that community together, because it's a new community, uh, we had 42 uh, investors, we had some from overseas, some from New Zealand, and just in terms of collaborating and sharing experiences and um, you know the ability to do shared deal flow and whatnot uh, later was was material. Um, coming into next year, we are going to launch a thing called Working Title Summit Club. So it's for the sort of Series A founders and above. Uh, you know, it'll be a paid membership, uh, but it's really around that sort of tight networking uh, and self-help that can come from a group like that. So, you know, along the lines of EO or YPO, I've been in YPO for a little while, so I can see the benefit that came from that and we want to we be able to do that. Um, if you're interested in any of this, just sign up at innovationbay.com. Uh, I should also spruik our podcast. I don't know whether you can spruik my podcast and your podcast, but um, it's called Open the Pod Bay Doors. Um, in fact, you can go to openthepodbaydoors.com uh, or find it on the Innovation Bay website or any good, uh, you know, the iTunes uh, store or whatnot. So uh, it's roughly weekly and it's a deep dive into the personalities within the um, Aussie uh, startup ecosystem. So we've had quite a lot of uh, venture uh, capitalists on there and a lot of exceptional founders and, and others from, from there. So um, yeah, tune into that. When it comes to email marketing, there's so much more that goes into creating smart and effective campaigns than what meets the eye. That's why Campaign Monitor created an easy-to-use email marketing platform, complete with simple drag-and-drop email editor and award-winning 24-7 customer service. Campaign Monitor gives you everything you need to run beautifully designed, professional email marketing campaigns to grow your business. With their gallery of beautiful, professionally designed email templates, all of which look amazing on every device, you're bound to find something that will make your brand pop. And since Campaign Monitor uses detailed lists and smart segments, your messages instantly drive more engagement. No wonder it's used by more than 250,000 businesses worldwide. And it's rated highest in customer satisfaction among major email marketing software vendors. To start building smart and beautiful email newsletters today, try Campaign Monitor for free at campaignmonitor.com slash twist. Listeners who sign up and become a customer will receive a free t-shirt. Again, that's campaignmonitor.com slash twist.
And so here we are at the end of Series 6. I've been making these shows for five years now. I have learned an enormous amount from all of our guests about what it takes to build a great startup. And hopefully this year, we've been able to take a look at what it will take to take our success forward. We're doing well. The Sydney Startup Hub, where I'm recording this right now, is proof positive of that. And if there are clouds on the horizon, and Startup Muster is a definite sign that not everything is perfect in startup land. If there are clouds on the horizon, we can at least be open and clear and have a good think about how to solve these problems together for all of us, learning what we can from what people are doing in other places and offering what we've learned here for them. As Andy Parker pointed out, It's going to be a long job. It's going to take time. It's going to take time to bring diversity. It's going to take time to fix all of the things that need fixing. As Ian Gardner pointed out, because he's been at it long as anyone, this isn't something that happens overnight. All we can do is keep moving and keep reflecting and keep asking ourselves, are we doing this well? Because only if we ask if we are good can we ever hope to become great. Big thanks to Twista sponsors MYOB, UTS, and Campaign Monitor. Their support makes our podcast possible. Thanks to Ian Gardner for joining us on this episode. This special Twista Live episode was made possible through the support of our friends at UTS Startups. Big thanks to Murray Herps, Holly McDavid, Lords Malaire, and Zoe Crawford. We've recently rebuilt and relaunched our website at TWIStartupsAUS.com. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. So check it out at TWIStartupsAUS.com. We will be back early next year with more of This Week in Startups Australia. Now, fingers crossed, we will be launching Series 7 with another wide-ranging interview with angel investor Jason Calacanis. Until then... This is Mark Pesci wishing you the best of New Year's and thanking you for listening.